Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. I hope everyone is doing well. We were spoiled with Serie A almost every day and then suddenly it was all gone. And now we have to wait until September for the next season to start. Thankfully, we have the Champions League, Europa League, and for some of us, the Serie B promotion and relegation playoffs to keep us busy. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than how we normally do it. We're going to skip the news segment. There was some news, but nothing terribly urgent, so we'll cover that and any news stories on the next episode. Instead, we're going to make this episode a bit of a transfer special. In the first two parts, we'll provide a comprehensive review of all the transfer rumors out there, And I'll weave in my thoughts. In part 1, we'll cover the keepers and defenders. And in part 2, we'll cover the midfielders and the forwards. Then in part 3, we'll recap the quarterfinals of the Champions League. We'll spend most of this segment talking about the lone Italian team remaining in the tournament. Though we will cover all four matches. We delayed this episode by a day so we could squeeze in that last Champions League match as well. We're also going to trial an approach that we intend to use for the next Serie A campaign. Rather than simply describing what happens in the matches, which you can get just as well from watching the highlights, we're going to focus more on the talking points, analysis, and implications of the results. So let's get into the transfer rumors starting with Napoli's goalkeepers. Arrestus Carnetsis was sent to Lille as part of the Victor Osman deal, so we're currently short a keeper. We do have two 18-year-old keepers on the Primavera. Antonio Daniela was just promoted to the U19 squad and made only one appearance last season, so he's definitely not ready. The other is Hubert Hidasiak, who the other is Hubert Hidasiak, who conceded 34 goals in 20 matches for the Primavera squad that was relegated, so I don't think he's ready either. In addition to the vacancy, the debates between Meret and Ospina rages on. 
Not too long ago, rumors surfaced that Napoli were considering a swap of Alex Meret for Salvatore Sirigu, but Napoli were pretty quick to deny those rumors. Earlier this week, though, Meret's agent Federico Pastorella told a few different media outlets that he is in constant contact with the club. He says a player Meret's age needs to play, even if that means going out on loan. One possibility is a move to Roma, which Gazzetta are reporting. I don't put much stock into that rumor. Paolo Lopez has not been good enough for Roma, which has fueled speculation that they will look for an alternative, and I think Gazzetta is simply looking at the market and suggesting possibilities. The one reason I would put just a little bit of weight into this rumor is that we know the clubs are in discussion about other players, namely Under and Vertu, so this could become a multiplayer deal. My personal view is that Medet will stay at Napoli and will be the number one next season. There have also been rumors that Napoli could bring back Luigi Seppe. I personally don't see that happening. Seppe is the number one at Parma, so I don't think he's going to want to leave that starting role to be a backup at Napoli, even if we do play in European competition. So let's move on to left back. At the start of the year, I would have said this position is our biggest weakness, with right wing being a close second. However, with how Mario Rui played this year, particularly in the second half of the season, I'd say right wing is now the biggest weakness. That said, Fauzi Gulam is likely to be sold, though Correa de los Sport is reporting that there aren't too many interested parties. Gulam declined the loan moves to Lille, Marseille, and Newcastle in January. According to Gazzetta, Napoli want 10 million euros for Gulam. We also have LCQ side, who's listed as a right back but plays both sides, potentially moving on as well, so we do still need another left back. A player that Napoli were previously interested in was Olympiacos defender Kostas Tsimikas. He's no longer available. He just recently joined Liverpool for a relatively low transfer fee of 13 million euros. The name that seems to be the most popular lately is Sergio Raglion, who is owned by Real Madrid but is currently on loan at Sevilla. I haven't seen too much of him, but I have been very impressed with his play in the Europa League. That said, Real Madrid reportedly won 25 million euros for him, and they could well get that price given the interest from the EPL. For that reason, I don't believe he ends up with Napoli. We just extended Mario Rui's contract. He earns 2.5 million euros per season. So to me, that means Mario Rui is the starting left back, and if that's true, it just does not make sense to pay so much for Reguilon. There's three scenarios if you buy him, and financially none of them make sense to me. One is that he would be a really expensive bench player if Rui is a starter. The second is that he becomes the starter, but then you're paying Mario Rui 2.5 million euros a season to sit on the bench. And the third, which may be the most feasible with Napoli playing for the Scudetto, the Coppa Italia, and the Europa League, is that they split time. But even in that case, you're essentially paying two players starting salaries or fees to play only half the games. Now, you can acquire a player without buying him, and that, of course, is by doing a loan, which, according to Sport Italia, is exactly what Juntoli is trying to negotiate, and that makes perfect sense to me. According to Ciro Venerato, another option is Benfica's Alejandro Grimaldo, and Juntoli has contacted his agent, Jorge Mendez. However, according to Venerato, Benfica valued Grimaldo at 28 million euros, so this move wouldn't work for the same reasons we cited for Reguilon. The name that sounds like the perfect fit to me right now is Vitali Mikolenko, who is on loan at Sevilla but is owned by Dinamo Kiev. I agree with Correa de los Sport that he would be the perfect fit for Napoli's project. If you've been listening to this pod for a while, you would have heard this explanation before. When Napoli are signing backup players, my preference is players that are in their early 20s for relatively low prices that can be developed to either replace the current starter or be sold for a profit later. Mikolenko fits this profile, he's 21 years old, and would probably cost around 10 million euros. 
Moving on to right back, though Gattuso wants LC Kusai to stay, it sounds like he could be on his way out. One of the rumors is that Kusai could move to Torino, which really makes little sense to me. I'm not sure why you would want to leave a club that could realistically compete for the Scudetto and plays in Europe for a club that came very close to being relegated this past season. If anything, I think Kusai wants to move to a bigger club than Napoli. I think a more realistic option would be to include Kusai in a swap deal with Roma, as they're closer to the top of the table and will compete for that Champions League spot. If he does, the number one option to replace him is Hellas Verona's Davide Faraoni. Napoli have a good relationship with Verona after that Rachmani deal. Verona's president Maurizio Setti was pretty open about Faraoni when he spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss. He said, I have talked about it several times with Cristiano Giuntoli. It is useless to hide it. He too has a really important engine. I don't know if he will eventually go to Napoli, but we have already talked about the numbers with Giuntoli, and I can assure you that Napoli's director has marked him in his notebook. Okay, so that brings us to center back. Of course, most of the transfer news at this position revolves around the potential sale of Kaladu Koulibaly. Napoli certainly seem ready to sell him, but with three seasons left in his contract, we are not desperate to sell him. At the moment, it seems Manchester City are the most interested club, but according to the Gazzetta, they're only willing to pay 65 million euros, which is too low. I think Koulibaly is worth somewhere in the 80 to 90 million euro range, but in this market, I don't expect any offers higher than 75 million. Different media outlets are reporting different numbers for De Laurentiis' minimum price, ranging anywhere from 70 to 100 million euros. Even though De Laurentiis insists he won't take a discounted offer, he does appear to be lowering his minimum asking price. In terms of the club's finances, Napoli don't need to sell players to cover debt, say like Roma may have needed to before the Friedkin purchase. We also don't need to sell players to cover the Victor Osimhen purchase. That's covered by some of the loan transactions completed last summer, though granted we did spend some of that money last summer as well. Many of the players we're currently linked to are replacement players, so the transfer fees for those players they're replacing will cover them. The main reason I think Napoli want to sell Koulibaly now is because for the first time in the last five years, Napoli won't be playing in the Champions League. Napoli made 66 million euros from the Champions League this year, so that's a hefty sum of revenue we'll be missing out on next season. Yes, we'll be playing in the Europa League, but the revenue from Europa League pales in comparison to the Champions League. The proceeds of the sale of Koulibaly will be 100% profit, so if we sold Koulibaly for, say, 75 million euros and we purchased someone like Gabriel for 25 million, we'd be net positive 50 million euros. So between the sale alone and the Europa League revenue, we maintain similar year-over-year revenue. Speaking of Gabriel, he should be Koulibaly's replacement. After the Victor Osman deal, or perhaps as a part of it, Napoli and Lille made a gentleman's agreement that if Napoli sell Koulibaly, Lille will sell Napoli Gabriel for around 25 million euros. Lille appear to be respecting that agreement as there is plenty of interest in Gabriel from the Premier League. Napoli will have to close a sale of Koulibaly pretty quickly, I'm thinking by the end of August, otherwise Lille will have to look elsewhere. They wouldn't have to look too far as there's already interest from Arsenal and Everton. Initially that timing made a lot of sense to me, I was thinking that the deeper Manchester City go in the Champions League, the higher they would be willing to pay for Koulibaly, and the final of the Champions League was scheduled for August 23rd, so if they got that far, then a deal in the final week of August seemed to make the most sense. But then, shockingly, Manchester City lost to Lyon on Saturday, so we'll see if that impacts how much they're willing to pay for Koulibaly. If Gabriel falls through, but Napoli still sell Koulibaly, there is one other name that the Partenope are looking at. Before I tell you who that name is, I'll tell you who it is not. 
It's not Fiorentina's German Petzella. He was linked to Napoli earlier in the year, but according to Corriere Fiorentino, a contract renewal is ready for him at Fiorentina, and with said renewal, he will be set for life. Another player it is not is Juventus's Meri Demiral. Juventus have made it clear that Demiral is non-transferable. It was pretty wishful thinking to think that Juventus would part ways with Demiral in the first place. The player I'm referring to is Celtic centre-back Christopher Julian, who would be a relatively inexpensive purchase. The last thing I'll say about centre-backs is something we mentioned previously, which is that if we don't sell Koulibaly, or if we sold him and replaced him with Gabriel, then we'd probably have one too many starting centre-backs, with Manolas, Maksimovic, and Rachmani already in the squad. It sounds like Nikola Maksimovic could be the one that gets sold. Maksimovic has been a revelation this season, but apparently the player has put his foot down on the negotiation, displeased with what Napoli are offering. If the player and the club cannot agree to terms, then the best route is to sell him, as he has only one year remaining on his contract, so you need to cash in before he walks away for free. Supposedly, Fiorentina and Everton are interested, and the asking price is 15 million euros. So that's it for part one. In part two, we'll talk about the latest transfer rumors around midfielders and attackers. Okay, so next we'll talk about the midfield. Realistically, there's only one player I expect to leave Napoli from the midfield, and that's Alain. I know in January there was a lot of talk about Fabian possibly going back to Spain, and occasionally you do still see these rumors, but I don't expect him to play anywhere but at Napoli this season. Fabian and Zielinski are both on Gattuso's untouchable list. Napoli just signed Deme and Lobotka, both of whom are proving to be good buys, so they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Likewise, Elmes was acquired last summer and he looks to be very promising and could potentially succeed Fabian if we sold him in the future. For quite some time now, Everton has been the most interested club in Alain because of the relationship with Carlo Ancelotti. De Laurentiis is reportedly looking to get 40 million euros from the Brazilian, which seems a little high for me. I've seen a report suggesting that Everton are offering 25 million plus 5 million in bonuses, while Napoli want 35 million plus 5 million in bonuses. I know Napoli previously rejected 50 million euros from PSG, but that was a while ago and it's been a rough go for Alain ever since. He's now been relegated to a backup role off the bench, so 30 million seems to be more of a realistic number for me. According to Sport Media set, Juventus and Inter are also interested in Alain, but neither of those clubs make much sense to me. One of them will sign Tonali, which I think will be Inter. Juventus may have been interested in Alain when Sari was in charge, but he's gone, and given their financial situation, I just don't see Alain going there. Napoli's primary target to replace Alain was Roma's Jordan Vertu, who was recently in the city and in fact dined at the same restaurant that Giuntoli did. Vertu's agent, Mario Giuffredi, has made it clear that Vertu will stay at Roma. He told ForzaRoma.info, There is nothing with Napoli, the story they put together is a shame. Vertu is fine with Roma and wants to stay with the Giallorossi. 
There was no meeting with Junto Lee. I am from Naples and therefore it happens that my clients come to see me. Jordan had to collect a car for three months and took advantage of the disqualification to come and get it. There's nothing else behind it. We didn't see anyone at dinner. If one day we decide to leave Roma, we will talk to them first. The Giallorossi have always behaved well. Rodrigo de Paul is another name that's been out there. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me for two reasons. First, de Paul is a pure attacking midfielder, whereas I consider Alain to be a flex midfielder, for lack of a better term. While he's capable of playing in an attacking role, I think he's most valuable as a holding midfielder. Second, Udinese want 35 to 40 million euros for De Paul, which I'd be okay with if he was to be a starter, but I think Atuzo is quite content with Fabian and Zelinski as his attacking midfielders, though I know there are plenty of Napoli Tifosi out there that would be happy to replace Zelinski with De Paul. For the record, I'm not one of them. A couple of other names that are out there are CSK Moscow's Nikola Vlasic and Empoli's Samuel Ricci. According to Gazzetta dello Sport, Juntoli has already made contact with Vlasic's agent. Napoli and Empoli spoke earlier in the year, but it was a casual conversation and nothing more. Sports Italia are reporting that Fiorentina are the clear favorite for Ricci, having offered Empoli 11 million euros. So that's the midfield. Let's finish with the forwards starting at striker. The signing of Victor Osimhen just about guaranteed the departure of Arkadush Milik. For a while now, Juventus have been the frontrunners, with reports suggesting that the poll has already agreed to terms with the Bianconeri. However, Napoli and Juve are at a bit of a stalemate. Juve appear to be offering Bernardeschi plus cash, whereas Napoli want only cash, and even if they were to take Bernardeschi, he does not want to give up his image rights. Now, this could all be media speculation because Milik and his camp have been fairly quiet all along, but it appears Roma might be a more likely destination for him now than Juve. According to Tuto Sports, Milik could accept a move to Roma so he doesn't sit on the bench for a year. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. We know that Napoli are interested in Vertu, though as we explained, that probably won't happen. Napoli are also interested in Cengiz Under, but he's really only a backup option to Jeremy Boga, which we'll get to shortly. I get that Roma will need to replace Edin Dzeko if he leaves, and I actually think that Malik would be a great fit, but I simply cannot see Roma paying even 30 million euros in cash, which is less than De Laurentiis even wants, because of Roma's financial situation. Now, with the Friedkin purchase and the sporting director role up in the air, it seems even less likely to me that Roma will make a big splash in the transfer market. The other option that remains out there is Atletico Madrid. Beyond Milik, there are transfer rumors about other strikers as well. With Andrea Patania signing in January, Fernando Llorente is expected to move on, whether to Benevento, Genoa, or elsewhere. Speaking of Patania, rumors remain that he could be swapped before he ever plays a game for Napoli. The latest swap rumors that Napoli want to include Patania in a swap deal with Udinese to bring in Kevin Lasagna, but Patania is unwilling to join Udinese. Lasagna's agent, Massimo Briaschi, recently spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss. He said, I don't know if there's anything true about this exchange with Napoli. They chose Patania. The situation is simple. Lasagna has a contract with Udinese and therefore we must first deal with the Friolan club. After a possible agreement between the clubs, we will evaluate our options. He also denied that Napoli had a deal with Lasagna last summer prior to signing Lozano. I really like Kevin Lasagna, but I'd rather have Patania. Lasagna is just too similar to Victor Osimhen for me. They're both clinical strikers with pace. If Napoli need to score and their opponent have found a way to shut down Osimhen, then aside from being fresh legs, there's not much benefit bringing in Lasagna off the bench if he plays exactly the same way that Osimhen does. 
Batania, on the other hand, is a completely different type of striker. He's big and strong and provides more of an aerial threat. All of a sudden, the opponent needs to change their tactics. So to me, Petania is more valuable to Gattuso for that reason. Moving on, we'll close with the wingers. With Jose Callejon leaving, Napoli have targeted Jeremy Boga as the preferred replacement. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that Boga is a player I rate very highly. Napoli need more production from the wings, and he's shown this year that he is more than capable of scoring goals. Sassuolo are asking for 40 million euros. Napoli are offering 25 million euros plus either Amin Yunus or Adam Unis, and Sassuolo think that Napoli are overvaluing those two players. Supposedly, Juntoli gave Sassuolo until August 15th to decide if they're willing to sell Boga. That day has now come and gone, and I've yet to see any reports that Napoli have pulled out. In fact, Tuto Sports is reporting that Napoli have already agreed to terms with Boga's brother and agent for a five-year contract at 2.3 million euros per season. One of the other clubs reportedly competing with Napoli for Boga was Borussia Dortmund, but with Jadon Sancho appearing to stay at Dortmund, Napoli seems to be more likely to sign Boga. If we're unable to sign Boga, then it appears that Cengiz Under is the backup plan. The clubs still have some negotiating to do. At the moment, Napoli are willing to pay 20 million, while Romar are looking for 30. After the season Under just had, Napoli's valuation seems about right to me. Maybe we go a few million more, say 22 or 23. But 30 million euros sounds far too high to me. Then again, we're asking for 35 to 40 million euros for Alain, so you can't really blame Roma for trying. Finally, Gianluca Di Marzio is reporting that Napoli are also looking at Wolfsburg's Josip Brekolo, who I think would be a suitable replacement. According to Di Marzio, he's worth 20 million euros, but that price can be worked down to 17 to 18 million. So that completes our update on the latest transfer rumors. In part three, we'll recap the quarterfinals of the Champions League. The quarterfinals of the Champions League commenced on Friday with Atalanta against PSG. Both sides were playing without some key players. Josip Ilicic has been out for personal reasons since July 11th, and Pierluigi Golini injured his knee in Atalanta's final match of the Serie A campaign against Inter. Marco Sportiello started in goal, and I must say he did an admirable job. For PSG, Kylian Mbappe started on the bench after picking up an ankle injury in the final of the French Cup. Thomas Tuchel had a foot injury of his own. He fractured his foot in training, so he coached this match sitting on a stool in the manager's technical area wearing a walking boot. PSG were also without Leighton Kurzawa, who injured his hamstring in the final of the League Cup, Marco Verratti, who injured his calf in training, and Angel Di Maria, who was out due to suspension. 
Mario Pasolic opened the scoring for Atalanta in the 27th minute. Atalanta held on to that lead all the way until the 90th minute, and then in a blink of an eye, it all came crashing down. In the space of three minutes, Marquinhos equalized, and Eric Maxim Chupomoting gave PSG the 2-1 lead, which is how this one ended. As much as I wanted Atalanta to win this match, which I'll talk more about later because there was quite the debate about that on Twitter, I do feel like this was a fair result. Other than a save killer Navas made on Hans Hattabor early in the match, the Pasolic goal was Atalanta's only real chance of the match. Even that Hattabor header might have gone to VAR for offside. PSG were clearly the better side. The superstars were the difference in this match. Neymar had chance after chance in the first half, but for all that he did well, his finishing was really poor. On a typical night, Neymar scores at least one of those chances, particularly the one in the opening minutes where he was clear to the goal but put his shot well wide of the target. A lot of people were getting on Neymar for not being able to finish, but he was still key to this win. Although I think if this match ended in a loss, then it would have been really bad for Neymar after the match. The other key difference maker was Kylian Mbappe, who was doubtful for this match after injuring his ankle in that final of the French Cup. Tuchel did say in his pre-match conference that he expected Mbappe to finish the match, which he did, and he made a huge impact off the bench. Atalanta's backline, and Mattia Caldara in particular, really struggled to keep up with Neymar and Mbappe. Before the match, ESPN FC posted a remarkable stat, which is that PSG have spent more on Neymar and Mbappe alone at $393 million than Atalanta have spent on their entire squad since the 2001-2002 season at $385 million. At the end of the day though, those two players made the difference. It was Neymar's shot that Marquinhos tapped in to equalize. Then on the second goal, Neymar played a perfectly weighted through ball to Mbappe who squared to Chupumoting. Chupumoting came in off the bench in the 79th minute to replace Mauro Icardi, who was almost invisible in this match. That was also another key difference in the match. PSG have far more depth. Atalanta, who were already playing without Ilicic, had to remove Papu Gomez early in the second half after he picked up a knock. And late in the match, Remo Freuler picked up a knock, but he could not be replaced because Atalanta had already used their five substitutes. After bringing on his regulars, Gasparini replaced an exhausted Duvan Zapata with 19-year-old Primavera player Jacopo Dariva. Dariva made his first appearance with the senior team in Atalanta's final Serie A match where he came in off the bench in added time. Suddenly, he was thrown into the club's biggest match in its history. Gasparini really didn't have much choice though. After he brought in Malinowski, Palomino, Muriel, and Castagne, these were the players he had left on the bench. Centre-back Bosco Sutolo, left-back Leonard Sisbora, right-back Raul Bellanova, striker Roberto Piccoli, and winger Ebrima Cauley. Sutolo is the most experienced of the group with only 277 minutes played in Serie A this season, but he's a centre-back. Sisbora and Bellanova are full-backs and neither have played more than 17 minutes. So it came down to Cauley, Piccoli, and Dariva, none of whom have played much at all, so Gasparini went with the only midfielder of the three. But Gasparini had to make a change. Like I said, Zapata was absolutely exhausted. In fact, the entire Atalanta squad looked gassed, which was the final reason why they lost this match. You could see how fatigued the players were by around the hour mark. They did play 13 Serie A matches over a 7-week period. We saw the toll this schedule took on Atalanta at the end of the Serie A season. They scored 98 goals this campaign, but in their final 5 Serie A matches, they only scored a total of 4 goals. As a result, Atalanta had to get away from their normal game plan, which is to attack all match and press high. For a lot of this match, particularly in the final half hour, Atalanta sat back, which is not an approach they're accustomed to, but again, they were just too tired to play the high-tempo style we've seen all year. 
Meanwhile, for PSG, even with Verratti and Kurzawa hurt, and even with Di Maria suspended, and even with Edison Cambani and Thomas Munier having moved on, they were still able to bring in Mbappe, Julian Draxler, Leandro Paredes, and Chupumoting. After the match, Neymar gave his Man of the Match award to Chupumoting, who scored the winner. Chupumoting's contract expired in June and is expected to move on, but his contract was extended so he could stay with the club for the Champions League. His goal was vindication of sorts for the Cameroon International. He has been the subject of ridicule for a while after he stopped a sure PSG goal on the goal line against Strasbourg in Ligue 1. Credit to the PSG Talking Podcast for that nugget. If you want the PSG perspective on this match, then definitely check out their most recent podcast. The last thing I want to talk about is the debate that was raging on Twitter about whether Italians or Serie A fans should cheer for Atalanta in this match. I recently did a Twitter poll where I asked if football fans cheer for clubs from the same domestic league as their own in European competitions. The options were yes, no, or sometimes. The sometimes option was for people who would cheer for some of the other clubs in the league, but not for the rival clubs. So Napolitani don't cheer for Juve, Milanisti don't cheer for Inter, Laziali don't cheer for Roma, and so on. We got 345 votes, which I think is a pretty good sample size. Surprisingly, 43% said no, they don't cheer for other clubs. 32% said sometimes, and 25% said yes. For this particular match, I was surprised to see how many Serie A fans were happy to see Atalanta lose, because very few people who commented say that they would not cheer for Atalanta, most cited Juventus or Inter. I think the main reason so many Serie A fans were hoping to see Atalanta lose this match was because of their resentment toward Giampiero Gasparini. I can't stand Gasparini first and foremost for insulting Southerners, Second for knowing he had symptoms of COVID and not self-quarantining when Atalanta played Valencia. And third for dancing on the touchline when Atalanta routed Milan 5-0. However, I was still rooting for Atalanta to win and I'll tell you why. First and foremost, I was cheering for the city of Bergamo for how hard they were hit by COVID-19. I just wanted some positivity for the people of that city. While I can't stand Gasparini, I do have a lot of respect for Atalanta as an organization, from their academy to their scouting. They're also one of the few Italian clubs who own their own stadium. And lastly, I was cheering for a friend of the pod, Dan Pizzotta. We had Dan on for a bonus pod ahead of Napoli's match against Atalanta. He's a lifelong Atalanta fan, so we were cheering for Dan. So that was Atalanta PSG. Atalanta are out, PSG advance, and they will play against the winner of RB Leipzig and Atletico Madrid. That match was played on Thursday. Earlier in the week, Atletico confirmed that two of its players had tested positive for COVID. Angel Correa and Simi Versalico tested positive and were isolated, so they did not travel to Lisbon. Versalico was already injured, so that wasn't much of a loss, but Correa is an important part of the squad. The rest of the squad and staff tested negative, so they were safe to travel to Lisbon and to play in the quarterfinal. Leipzig won this match 2-1. Daniel Olmo opened the scoring in the 51st minute. Substitute João Felix equalized from the penalty spot in the 71st minute. And in the 88th minute, Tyler Adams put Leipzig back ahead. Even though neither of these teams are mega clubs like some of the other quarterfinalists, this was still a very intriguing matchup between a team of mostly wonder kids and a defensive mastermind in Diego Simeone. For someone who watches Italian football almost exclusively, I was really impressed with Leipzig. They're a really fun team to watch both because of the style they play and because their strategy as an organization is essentially to buy low, develop, and sell high. So when you watch them play, you're watching prospective players. I know for many Bundesliga fans, they're one of the most hated clubs for how they got to where they are today. But frankly, there are plenty of teams who are successful because of heavy financial backing, two of whom are quarterfinalists in Manchester City and PSG. Nevertheless, how Leipzig got to where they are should not take away from what they do on the pitch. 
Their style of play is very attractive, it's very positive, their movement off the ball is very intelligent, and they play a lot of one and two touch football. What impressed me the most was not how they played on the ball though, it was how they played off of it. They're really calm at the back. As the match wore on, Atletico had to get forward to try to score that equalizer, and other than the foul for the penalty, Leipzig really did not concede much. They kept their shape at the back. I was most impressed with their center back, Deut Upamecano, who looks like the real deal. Now, Simeone has a youngster of his own who's not that bad either in Jao Felix. He came on in the 58th minute and had an immediate impact. He provided a much-needed injection of pace and creativity into Atletico's attack, and you did feel like if they were to score that he would play a part in it. Sure enough, he both won the penalty and converted it. But just as Leipzig are calm at the back, they're also very calm under pressure. A lot of clubs with far more experience would have let that goal get to them and allowed the momentum to swing, but they did not. They just kept on playing their game and they were rewarded for it with the late goal and the win. So the first semi-final is said, RB Leipzig will be playing in their first ever Champions League semi-finals against PSG, who will be playing in their second ever semi-final and their first in 25 years. The other side of the bracket started its quarterfinals on Friday with Bayern Munich against Barcelona. On Wednesday, Barcelona reported that one of the nine players who began preparing for next season had tested positive for COVID-19. Jean-Claire Todibo later confirmed that he in fact was the player that tested positive. Todibo was asymptomatic and the team confirmed that he was not in contact with any of the first team players who traveled to Lisbon for the Champions League quarterfinal. These sides are both Champions League royalty. They have 10 trophies between them, each with 5. They've met in the knockout stages four times and all four times the winner went on to lift the trophy. Barcelona changed their formation from the one that played against Napoli with Busquets and Vidal returning from suspension, but the way Bayern have been playing and the way this match went, it probably wouldn't have made a difference. If you didn't already know, Bayern won this match 8-2. It looked like this might be a close match early on. Müller opened the scoring in the 4th minute, Barca equalized on a Jordi Alba own goal in the 7th minute. Barca nearly took the lead in the 11th minute, but Messi's cross hit the post. Perisic put Bayern up in the 21st minute with his second goal since Champions League resumed. Nabry made it 3-1 in the 27th minute. The flick over the top by Leon Goretzka to send Nabry through was just sublime. Müller completed his brace in the 41st minute to make the score 4-1. Luis Suarez pulled one back to keep Barcelona in it. That was a vintage Suarez goal. He turned Boateng inside out before firing past Neuer. After that, the wheels fell off for Barcelona. Joshua Kimmich scored the fifth goal after just a ridiculous run from Alfonso Davies, who continues to make all Canadians proud. Lewandowski scored the sixth. That was his 50th career Champions League goal and his 14th in this competition, making him the top scorer. He's also tied with Mbappe for most assists with five. Philippe Coutinho scored a late brace but didn't celebrate against his former club. Match official Demir Scomina still played out the full two minutes of stoppage time despite the score. Like Maurizio Sarri at Juventus, after the match, Kike Setien was relieved of his duties. The fourth quarterfinal was played on Saturday between Manchester City and Lyon. Lyon shocked City with a 3-1 win on goals from Maxwell Cornet and a brace from Moussa Dembele while Kevin De Bruyne scored the long goal for City. You can always expect Pep Guardiola to have a surprise in his squad, but no one was expecting a three-man backline. City have used the three-man backline three times this season. They beat Everton 2-1 and they beat Sheffield 1-0 in the Premier League, but lost 1-0 to United in the EFL Cup. Early in the match, you could see that City were a little off their game. They seemed a little nervous at the back and their passing was sloppy. Kyle Walker nearly chested the ball into his own goal, but Ederson got across to keep it out. The first hour of this match felt a lot like the PSG-Atalanta match to me. 
Lyon played with a lot of energy early on and managed to find the back of the goal midway through the first half, but as the match wore on, City started to push more and more. Lyon made it very difficult for City. Marcel made a really important interception early in the match, without which City probably would have scored and the entire complexion of the match would have changed. I follow Rohit Rajiv on Twitter who writes for Sempre Milan and does the occasional tactical analysis. I agree with Rohit's assessment when he said that Lyon were suffocating City's attack by playing a low block and leaving little space between the lines. They often double teamed De Bruyne and Sterling who were still City's best players in the match. Unlike PSG, City equalized much earlier in the match. As you would expect, it was Sterling and De Bruyne that linked up on the goal. For me, they were the only two players that stood out for City in this match. The final 10 minutes of the match were pretty crazy. You had Moussa Dembele come in off the bench and put Leon ahead in the 79th minute. There was some debate about whether Carl Toko Okambi was offside, but he did not touch the ball. He allowed it to run through for Dembele, who was onside. It also appeared to me that Dembele may have fouled Amrik Laporte, but VAR reviewed the play and the goal was given. Then in the 86th minute, Raheem Sterling somehow missed a wide open goal from only a few feet away, which was unfortunate because he otherwise had a very good match, yet that's all anyone will remember about his performance. And sure enough, moments later Dembele scored his second after some pretty poor goalkeeping from Ederson. Ederson was the second best keeper on the night. Anthony Lopez made a number of saves. They weren't always the prettiest and he did spill a couple of them, but at the end of the day he kept the ball out of the net. So after the final Serie A team went home on Wednesday and the final La Liga team went home on Friday, the final Premier League club went home on Saturday. Lyon will play against Bayern Munich, so that means both semifinals will match a Bundesliga club against a Ligue 1 club. So that will do it for our Champions League roundup. It'll also do it for episode 35. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a like, subscribe, and most importantly, give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions for me, or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again early next week, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.